Now that you've cast out the evil sorcerer and taken his treasures and searched his colon for gems, it's time for you to kick back and listen to the Save for Half Sideshow. The Save for Half Sideshow, where it's all fun and games until somebody takes a four-sider to the eye. Greetings, everybody, to the Safer Half Sideshow and the return of the email hot tub time machine. I forgot about the time machine hot tub. (laughs) But it's here. We have emails. And it's the Kojo show. At least 80% of it, because his his messages have been stacking up. Again, our (laughs) apologies, Kojo. We don't know what's been going on with the forum on the on the website because certainly seems like everybody else's is coming through. I think it just hates you or something. I'm on a Mac and it works for me. I'm just saying. (laughs) We certainly get plenty of other stuff, but anyhow, we had hoped to have Kojo on to actually give us the questions directly, but twas not to be. Maybe we can have him on on another one. I'm sure he'll have plenty of questions stored up for the next one. Well, we just talked about this, right? We're just right. going to skip over the emails and have Kojo on directly to ask all the questions. The Kojo yeah. Inquisition. It'll be like an interview show, but he's the one asking us questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But right now, before we get to the emails. What did we do at David this week? Who cares? Ow! What have we been doing in gaming this week, Jim? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I'm not doing, um, <laughs> because uh, this evening I was going to go over to Tim Cask's house for flight training and Dawn Patrol, but that's okay. We're doing a podcast instead. I'm a, I'm a big boy. I can what make my own decisions. What have you not been doing in gaming this week, <laughs> Jim? But, 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 but the important thing is we're all in on this, and, and uh, Tim has a regular war, Wednesday war game group that meets every other week, and, and he's got, now got this pool table-sized uh, cloth Dawn Patrol map he got from Mike Carr, and we've all got the rules, and we've got, there's a new edition of Dawn Patrol in the works, and we've got some of those rules, and we are going to go all in. I can be more excited about it. I'm just not there yet. Sweet. Oh, is he using biplane models? It's got to be using biplane models. Oh, that's models. heresy. Please, no, 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 no. You have to. You, what? You have to use the the cardboard counters from the game. But uh, Tim has some from 1975 that he hand colored and hand painted. It's really cool. Wow. Well, that, that is really cool. That works. Okay. Corbett. And TotalCon. I'm going to TotalCon. Sorry. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't done anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> the closest thing I did was actually do the uh, the character creation with, with you and Liz for the show for the Morrow Project, which is probably going to be out by now, I would think, probably, when this comes yeah. out. Probably. Let's and hope so. not, look so. for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can if you're a Patreon. Yeah. Right. Like me. <laughs> for just a buck, you could... You could listen to us make characters. Ooh, the fun, the excitement. Wow. Well, I, I think you have to pay more than a dollar to get the, the extra goodies. Oh, okay. You can go to the site and see the various levels and see what you get. It's a British pound, one British pound instead of a dollar. Yeah. We appreciate it when you do because, you know, we don't cost a lot of money, but once a year it's a domain name and every month it's uh, web serving. And Zencaster, which we use to record right now, is a monthly fee for us as well. Indeed. But it is handy. Which was founded by another gamer I found out recently, which is kind of cool. Really? Yeah. One of the guys uh, who's one of my friends on Facebook mentioned that he knows the the guy who created Zencaster as part of his gaming group. So that was kind of cool. Well, I hope you told him to tell his friend that it is an awesome recording platform. I did indeed. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, if, if if you're listening, Mr. Inventor, it beats the holy crap out of Skype, which is oh what we used to use. Oh my God, yes. God, yes. Yeah. Okay, Liz, what have you been doing in gaming? Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Okay, well, I have been playing in Mike's online Morrow Project game, and we've only had one um, actual game session so far where we basically all we we have awakened and discovered that things are not as they are supposed to have been and two of their team are missing yes so i've been doing that mike and i both are playing in a second edition game that friends of ours alex and amanda who some of you may know from north texas rpg con They've been part of our gaming group back when we were all gaming with Chase and everything. Uh, Alex is now running a game, and Mike and I go over there. The way things go, we're lucky to get over there once, maybe twice a month to do that because of schedules and all of that stuff. But, But that's been fun. But that has been fun. So between those two things, actually been able to game fairly regularly. Taunt those gods. (laughs) All right. Well, I won't talk about mine since obviously you pretty much covered it. Yeah, that's why you ask me. Huh? Oh, I got your back, Liz. So, so, so Mike, what do you have planned for that campaign? Things. (laughs) Actually, I've got it fairly, I've actually got it fairly sandboxed. So, you know, a lot of what's going to happen is going to depend on what they, which direction they decide to go. I bet they meet those. Those guys that weren't in their cryo chambers like they were supposed to be. I bet they're going to meet them. Probably not. Well, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. I, will, I, I can't tell you. So, anyway. I'll tell you well, off the let's show. let's just say, cause... have you ever seen the movie Time Bandits? Huh? Why, no. I've never heard of that movie, <laughs> What Corbett? is this movie you speak of? <laughs> labyrinth? What's a labyrinth? I don't get it. <laughs> That's right. The Goblin King took the other two away. <laughs> Tell you what, if I was in charge, it would have been cars and lasers day one. <laughs> <laughs> Zark. Well, they are running around in a striker, so unfortunately it's an ambulance striker, which 
<laughs> so we don't have any big guns. You've got little guns. Little, we've got cute little guns and a giant red cross painted, <laughs> painted on, the on the side. In the camo. Please shoot here. <laughs> it's over the fuel tank, so it's good. Yeah, yeah exactly. You've got to be efficient, you know? Now, see, what's funny is it's got mini moose in the game. So what he's going to have next is a giant squirrel. So you can have moose and squirrel. Yes. That's going to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the two people are, you're, who are missing will come back as Russian agents. Yes. <laughs> it is a guy and a girl. So, you know, Boris and Natasha. We got, we're hey, got it. I cheated and read the emails in advance. There's a question about do you ever take rules and components from one game into another? You've already got the plastic puppets. <laughs> <laughs> or moose and squirrel okay well speaking of that let's get to the email shall we i read all the emails on the face of the earth no emails were harmed in the making of this podcast now if kojo had been able to come on i was all for calling this episode yo kojo and then we could have had <laughs> G.I. Kojo jokes and all kinds of other things. <laughs> but we're going to have to save that for save later, Save it for the, I guess. for the next show. We can get him on. So, first email. Kojo writes, Greetings, halflings. I wanted to write in about your critique of the original PHB. Uh-oh. Overall, I agree with most of your takes on the book. It is iconic and evokes a certain nostalgia in me. And I love the Gygaxian writing even if it isn't always the most clear. Just like some of you, my groups never used encumbrance, spell components, or racial level limits. We did use the racial class limitations, though. A couple of things I have to respectfully disagree with, though. Uh-oh. <laughs> One, the racial preferences table. The book text states that this is simply a guide, and certainly not a hard and fast rule that your PC must follow. I feel it is in there to help players who are not familiar with some fantasy tropes, to help them play their PC. Sounds like orc nonsense to me, but whatever. So, racial preferences table. He disagrees with you. Respectfully. Get him, Mike. Oh, sorry, I was <laughs> waiting for Jim to... I thought Jim was <laughs> wanting to, to say something. That's why you... you know. I can okay. agree with both sides of that. So you're right, Kojo. It, uh, you're absolutely right. Your, your individual player character should be able to do whatever he wants. A little uh, heavy-handed, but AD&D is nothing if not you a know, little heavy-handed. Yeah. <laughs> I still say, according to that table, humans are the race of meh. I just forgot that table existed. I, I totally, that's why I put it in my list. I was like, oh yeah, it's a weird table. It just kind of sits there. Like, guess what? You ate that guy. So there's, oh, there's three nice responses. Now, Mike, go. Bah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. No, I could see his point. I would wonder how many people were playing AD&D that hadn't at least read Tolkien. And let's face it, for the most part, that, that chart is a straight off on Tolkien. Even though they said D&D was not inspired by Tolkien. They don't have hobbits in D&D. <laughs> Anymore. <laughs> right. No, no. Never a hobbit. Never. <laughs> no, that was D&D, not AD&D. And as we know, they're completely different games. Uh... <laughs> you know what I want to see is I want to see a 5e version of that table with all the extra racial crap they've got now. Oh, my so, God. So, you know, 
Teflings <laughs> in there and Dragonborn and everything else. That that thing would look like a, a spokes on a bicycle. An Excel <laughs> spreadsheet. And humans would still be ambivalent to everybody. <laughs> it's like, meh. Nah. They're an apocalyptic race that wants to kill the entire universe. Nah, I guess. Nah. <laughs> yeah, but they're fun at parties. Okay, next one. Okay, number two. The Monk and Illusionist. While these weren't common classes used in my games, they were definitely used infrequently. I personally enjoy playing these underutilized classes to challenge myself. I also enjoy playing gnomes. You shut the hell up, Kojo. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sad when it happens to someone you know. (laughs) Well, I won't say I've never seen anyone play a monk. I've been in, especially in the 80s, there were a couple of times people played monks, but I had never seen anyone play an illusionist. I just... I've had to play an illusionist before. In a, you had to? I had, it was it was a convention. Oh, okay. So a pre-gen? Yeah, it was a pre-gen. They're like, oh, illusionist. I've never played one. It sounds really fun. It was an all-undead campaign. You know how oh. useful an illusionist is in an all-undead oh. campaign? Don't worry. I'll cast an illusion. Wait, I, I think I got this. Um, Not very. <laughs> not very. <laughs> oh. Brains. Brains. Okay, pick a card. Pick a card. Any card. Any card. <laughs> <laughs> Any, you'll, be, you'll be astounded. Come on. Brains. brains. Uh. Look, there's brains over there. Brains over there. No, no, there. <laughs> I've never played either class, but when Tim, when we talked Tim into running a campaign for about a year and a half yonks ago, he allowed, there was a guy that I know really well. Uh, Tim's really good friends with him. I, I'm acquaintance level friends with him, and I really like the guy, but he wanted to play Gnome Illusionist, you know, using those old strategic review rules. Tim let it fly, and it was fine. I mean, we had a good time, but a more worthless character in general use in combat you never saw. (laughs) I have only played a Castles and Crusades illusionist, and Mm. it was, eh, it was okay. Not my first choice. Was it like the human of the races? It was. It was very, (laughs) (laughs) meh. meh. Although, to be fair, we were playing pretty low-level characters. I mean, illusionists may kick ass once you manage to get them up to, you know, 7th or 8th level. I don't know. But (laughs) first-level illusionist, even less useful than a first-level magic user. Put an illusionist right next to a magic user. It's like, aha, I can cast fireball. Well, I can cast an image of a fireball, which is just about the same thing. If I can trick you (laughs) into thinking that it's a real fireball, Fireball. it might as well be. (laughs) Sure, the backblast is going to be exactly the same. <laughs> Except you got to roll more, even more dice. <laughs> I can just. Corbett, you and I have got to get our act together because Mike has already copyrighted Ba. Liz has just put the flag in Meh. This this podcast. You and I need our little our little like uh, line. <laughs> I'll take. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, any more to that email? Yes. (laughs) And number three, psionics. Here we go. I have always (laughs) loved the inclusion of psionics in D&D. It was not uncommon in the fantasy literature I read as a youth to have a blending of sci-fi and fantasy elements. And so fantasy characters and monsters with mental abilities isn't jarring for me at all. I grant you that the mechanics are a bit clunky, and second edition made rules that were much more user-friendly. But I sure did love the chess match that comes from pitting attack modes versus defense modes. Get him, Mike. 
Well, we appreciate your input on this subject, and we'll certainly take it under I mean, advisement. I, I can respond. I'm just not sure I should. I mean, the, 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 A, he's entirely correct. The genre fiction is full of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Especially in the 70s. Problem is, mm-hmm. it's normally a protagonist. In D&D, you don't have a single protagonist. You've got a whole party. And what that turned into when we were all first grappling with AD&D... Our, which was our first D&D, was everybody wanted Sonics. We were making that role every mm-hmm. character generation like crazy. Too stupid to realize what would happen if one of us ever got it, because the rules are just bonkers. I think Joseph Goodman was a genius in DCC, but the spell duel rules in DCC are broken and everybody knows it. Same thing with Sonics in first edition AD&D. They're just broken rules. In my opinion. Oh, there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Save. all right Uh, and he follows up with anyway great episode as always i'm looking forward to your reviews of the first edition dmg and monster manual too your pal dm kojo we'll get to them oh yeah we should do those (laughs) yeah we should probably and our copious amounts of free time next email next email from dm kojo (sighs) greetings save for halfers I know that most of us will use house rules for the various games that we play. I do this a lot myself. I find that many of my house rules are simply modified versions of rules from other games. I'm curious about what rules you have ported over from one game into a different game. How well did that work? And finally, are there any rules you've thought about moving from one game to another, but have yet to try? Thanks, DM Kojo. All right. um... Get him, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) i have to think on my house rules i don't think i've imported them from other places but i'll have to chew on that a bit to see if that's really the case i will say that i've been very tempted to import the percentile skills or task system from morrow project and do some other games like victorious or dnd Because I really, really like that system. The more I use it, the more I like it. Well, I know you've also talked about how elegant you found the 5e advantage-disadvantage Yeah. Oh, yeah. Check. I think that's, that's pretty one. sweet, too. I, again, have not imported it yet, but I, I am... That, that actually is a nice 5e rule, and you could just institute that at the drop of a pin. Yeah, it, it would import pretty seamlessly. That's me. Next. <laughs> Jim. I'm going to admit an open shame of mine. I'm actually a fan of Congo Line Initiative because that's just what we did in the old days. I imprinted on it. And maybe now that I'm older and not slightly more dyslexic, it's just easier. But I don't do Congo Line Initiative unless it's a low character funnel, level zero funnel in DCC, where you pretty much need that because every player's got four characters. But I was thinking about what he asked. And my I ran a, a single Gamma World campaign off and on for almost 30 years. And we did what we did with D&D back in the day. We just used whatever was the current rule set. And like third edition, that was a whole different set of rules. And then fourth edition came out, Gamma World, and we really liked that. And when it, it ended, it was the mid-2000s, and I was using Mutant Futures for the rules and Game World 1E for the setting. So that was entire rule sets. I like the DCC MCC system, not just because it's, I think it's pretty groovy, but I, I have it like imprinted in my brain now. There was a MCC game where the players got their minds transferred back in time and showed up in bunnies. And my intention, I showed up shown up with first edition bunnies and burrows rules and we were just gonna it was my excuse to play bunnies and burrows for a session instead of mcc and uh 
between me and some younger players that lasted about five minutes and we just ran bunnies and burrows with MCC rules mm-hmm. on the fly. Yeah. So I big, big things like that. Okay. Corbett? I can tell you, I, I pull different rules for different reasons, but I try to make sure the integrity of the formula of the game stays. And I can I can give you an example exactly why that is. I played a ton of West End games Star Wars. It's a D6 base system. It uses, uh, like you have a fixed dice pool that you're trying to make an achieved roll. It plays great if you want to play the original three movies, New Hope, Empire, and um, Jedi. The feel of those movies where characters can make mistakes, but they can still succeed. It has a certain great fun feel. I tried using those same rules for like a fantasy game and suddenly everything was out of whack. The The characters were the equivalent of blasting a, a door panel to lock a door, but then the bridge goes out. Works way different when it's, oh, what was it, a vampire tower? And a, it's like all these random things, like the, the whole building kept falling apart all the time because of random rules and the way it works. So I don't always import rules all the time. There's a lot of fun ones I like here and there, like the, the bimbo points that we got from... Um, Super Babes. Super Babes is actually like the force point in Star Wars and, and a couple others. And I kind of like it, but not always, mm-hmm. because sometimes it works great for the type of game you want to be playing it. Like Cthulhu. Cthulhu, you couldn't have wacky, funny, zany comedy. It's got to be permanent and real and very scary. And it's it's not that, oh, you have to play the rules as written. It's like, oh, you, you have to make sure to not change too much because the rules are there for a reason to make it feel like the rules are reflecting the are trying to reflect the genre right right yeah it's it's not always true for every game because a lot of times i won't like rules in a game it's like no i'll do exactly what jim did with uh, the bunnies and burrows like this doesn't work for what i need i'm using dcc because it's going to work a lot easier for me and that just makes good sense for real that's all house rules usually are anyway for most of us at least those of us that came up in old school do-it-yourself gaming right is we just steal right. stuff from other systems because we're used to it and our players are used to it and it's easier right oh i have a better example i tried in a in one of my convention games at north texas i decided it'd be fun to throw in star trek trivia in my star trek game and just a heads up it wasn't it was a terrible idea it was incredibly <laughs> slow and i immediately pulled it after like the third question like nope bad idea we're done with that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but if you don't if you don't try crazy stuff, you never stumble on anything great. Right. And you don't yeah. that there are things that read really well, but then you get to actually playing it and go, hey, this is this kind of sucks. This kind of sucks a lot. Yeah. Or <laughs> this vice is the worst versa. idea I've ever had. Oh, yeah. Or vice versa. You never know. Okay, Liz. I've always liked the idea of the the fate point. Whether you call it a fate point, a bimbo point, a victory point, whatever, I like that mechanic to give players the opportunity to salvage something from a situation where everybody has, for whatever reason, rolled very poorly. <laughs> like luck points. I mean, DCC yeah. is a super swingy system, but that's mitigated by uh, your luck stat. You can burn those and, and change outcomes. Mm-hmm. In the second edition game that Mike and I were in just a week or so ago, something like that happened to our group. There was a whole bunch of us, and we were trying to save this little girl who had been kidnapped by what turned out to be a grouping of, there were ghasts. Were the others just ghouls, or were they... I think there was just two or three ghasts, and the rest were ghouls. Yeah. Well... If we had been 
rolling normally, we would have been able to save that little girl. But every single time, or just about every single time, you know, one of us had got close enough to one of the ghasts. First, we had to save for the overpowering stench. And then if the ghast managed to touch us, we had to save versus paralyzation. And we... <laughs> Wait a minute. Didn't your illusionist help you with a card trick or some type of... See, we we didn't have an illusionist with us. We did have a gnome, but we had a gnome, but the guy who normally plays him was not able to come. And so I was having to play him and he had a wand of magic missiles that was not written down on his character sheet. So I did not know to use it until nearly the end of the combat. Long story short, it, it was nearly a TPK. Yes, and uh, we were not able to save the child. That story but, turned into Knights at Dinner Table fast. Oh my, <laughs> <It's> gosh. <awesome. laughs> oh my gosh. But if we had had luck points, fate points, something that we could have used. A wand of magic missiles. Yeah, a wand. If, I, if we had only known there was a wand of magic missiles at the beginning. You know. <laughs> Liz, you have brought up the best point ever. And, this is, and here's why I like that rules mechanic you're talking about is because when the situation that you just described happens in the old days, it would then fall on the, the DM or the GM to kind of start fudging dice rolls. When a combat has just gone to hell because the players all simultaneously start rolling for crap, it happens. And you mm-hmm. and as a GM, you want to try and save them. But this mechanic g- gives it back to the players and player agency. They can save themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And player agency is always, I mean, that's what you're going for, right? Right. Usually, right. yeah. That it, Liz? That is it. All right. And I don't have a lot of rules that I like to import, but the the concept of the luck or the fate point, I think, is useful in any game, even if it's mm. Call of Cthulhu, because uh. you're still, you're just delaying the inevitable, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's what insanity is for. You're lucky. <laughs> See, you didn't die horribly. You're just ma- insane. Anyway, next email. Okay. Our next email is from John W. We've got an email that's not from Kojo? We have two. Yeah, just to mix it up a little. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. So, John W. writes, Happy New Year. I was wondering, have any of you come across a game that feels like a cross between D&D and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Thanks. Corbett, I'll give this one to you. <laughs> yeah, if anyone here has. <laughs> I know two of us that have the same answer to this question. The tavern, the, um, oh, what, what's this? There was one that was the Tales uh, of the Flooding Vagabond? The, is it the one? It's the tavern at the end of the universe that you go to and every single character you've ever played can yeah. be there. So Yeah, I think that's it. Is that the one? Yeah, I think that's it. The one with combat it's kind feasting. Of like it. Yeah. As a skill, like, hey, your 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 superhero can meet his uh, fantasy barbarian and his future wizard, and oh, I guess a girl could be there too. And a oh, bunny, really? but uh... let's, not, let's not get too <laughs> out of ridiculous. hand here. Ridiculous! <laughs> you just made my head spin because I don't think any of my characters would get along with each other. <laughs> <laughs> they all want the same thing, right? It was the Tales of the Floating Vagabond. Who made that? Avalon oh, Hill, a I long think. Long time ago. Was it? I think so. No, no I think it was. Dear God, what's wrong name? with me? All my characters meeting in a tavern, oh, and, no. and and my brain goes straight to, well, that's an episode of Highlander right there. <laughs> <laughs> one 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 wizard's going to walk out of there with a bunch of crap. Yep, Avalon <laughs> Hill, 1991. That's I what I thought. I was thinking I was older than that. Avalon Hill, 
Even they could get a role-playing game that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if it was that cool. It was just a cool idea of, hey, all of your characters could be here if they wanted yeah, to. Yeah, I only played once. Actually, the guy that wrote in the other email, Anthony, was running it. And uh, I wrote, I basically made up a pastiche of Jean-Luc Picard and called him Ricky Picardo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Ah, <sighs> oh, that was fun. We only played it once, but it was fun. Oh, gosh. You're just jealous. <laughs> Ricky Picardo, that I'm is totally terrible. Jealous. I'm totally <laughs> jealous. That is horrible. I'm so stealing that. <laughs> I guess most of the games I'm personally familiar with, it would all fall on the GM making his sci-fi world into one that had a hitchhiker's feel. Or taking a game like Paranoia. Yeah, you know, Paranoia could in fall space. into that category. Yeah, um, I mean... It is science fiction, oh, technically, what? but... Liz, I thought you would have the same answer as me. What about Deep Seven's Red Dwarf RPG? I've never oh, actually played yeah. it. Oh, neither have I, but I've read it. I mean, it's it's got everything. It's got the sci-fi part. It's got the comedy part. Yeah. And how serious can it be when your character is a evolved sentient cat or a, a domestic droid? Yeah, but does it also give the cross between D&D &D? And that hitchhiker's feel. It, it does in the hollow simulation adventures that a Red Dwarf crew yeah. took, one of which was medieval. Remember, Lister Kate ported into the game, and instead of a giant steed, he had the little pack mule <laughs> with his, his whole knight costume on top. I must have missed that one. I don't recall it, which is somewhat disappointing because I thought I'd watched most of those. Well, well I know there was this one game. I've never actually seen it or read it myself, but it had... I think it had a Kickstarter or something maybe around 10 years or so ago. Your space scavengers going around looting old wrecked ships and stuff like you would a dungeon. So in that sense, you kind of have the D&D &D and the future feel, but I don't know if the setting of it would equate to Hitchhikers at all. Well, you'd have to put that part in, but you're yeah. going to do some work that way anyhow. Well, actually, if he's talking about D&D &D as a fantasy game that's like uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There really hasn't been one that I can think of. Unless you turn Spelljammer into a comedy. Well, I was thinking you could take Myth Adventures as a like a backdrop, because Jim did that huh? for his game. Basically, I mean, it's a bunch of D-hopping crazy stuff with a, some magic and everything else. It's... Oh, that was my brother's campaign, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He based it initially on Myth Adventures. But there wasn't a Myth Adventures RPG, sad to say. There was a board game for it, though. Yeah. All right, let's. We we still got emails to go. Let's do this. <laughs> oh come on! Thanks. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Back to Kojo. Yay! Good day, half savers. <laughs> As all of you have an old school pedigree of gaming, I was wondering how you go about bringing new school gamers to the old school scene. I run an RPG club at the high school where I teach, and it can be challenging to get the students to try anything besides 5e and other modern games. I encourage them to try other things and talk up the old school appeal to them, but it sometimes feels lost on them. For example, when I emphasize streamlined character creation or limited class options for the PC as a feature, they see it as a bug, and they don't want to even try the old school game. Any suggestions are appreciated. Thanks, DM Kojo. Wow. That's a good email and a real problem. I would suggest Rifts. <laughs> it's old school and it has all the crunch they could possibly want. And then some. Um, I'm going to presume he's not like referring to retro clones or quote unquote games you can buy now that are quote unquote 
new as but use old rule systems. I, I'm going to assume he's just talking about probably a problem that I've heard other people say is people just want to play 5e and nothing else. I know it includes some of what you're talking about, but because I uh, watch him on Facebook, I know in at least some instances it's DCC. You know, him and uh, uh, Chase are, are love DCC, but they can't get the kids at school to play. Huh. And that's technically, that's a modern imprint game. You see, that, that just baffles me because when I was a kid, you know, we'd try anything. We would play all sorts of games. We may not stick with them, but we'd give it a shot. Of course, that may have also been a matter of... There were so few games around. Castles and Crusades might be close enough to 5e insofar as it shares some of the same mechanics. That's true. 5e was a great retro clone of Castles and Crusades. Indeed it was. So maybe you could get them to try C&C because there would be enough of the elements that they are familiar with in their 5e games that they might be willing to to do that and maybe you can just sort of baby step them into doing other stuff it's a sticky problem with a lot of venn bubbles because some of it is okay 5e is the mainstream modern thing that everybody else is playing so you've just got the the gravity of that mike when we liz and corporate when we started there weren't m morgues and you know uh i almost said call of duty what's the skyrim you know there wasn't all all this this crap plus 20 flavors of D D to play no. we all we have was zork <laughs> i mean my answer would be just be to do exactly what ba does in nights at dinner table which is sometimes you just got to sit them down and practically force them to play i'm super grateful that todd bunn has always run gateway games as a store where the kids the kids the entry level customers for this industry are all shown how to play everything and the, and the, they do it like we used to do it in the day it'll be pathfinder night one night ventures league the other night then it'll be call of cthulhu then it'll be some superhero game or hero clicks and then it'll be dcc mcc night and they they do that but when we were first starting dcc and when i formed a group to play test mcc initially we started with like I don't know, maybe 15, 18 people. And some of them were so, the Pathfinder style was their playstyle preference. Maybe 25 or 30% of them went away and didn't come back. But it goes both ways. We had this little dude that was 12 years old at that time. He came straight from World of Warcraft. He was a little walking murder hobo and wasn't worried at all when he would lose a character. He would see it coming and in the middle of combat start rolling up the next one because it was just a new a new character spawn to him. Now that's <laughs> the way you do it. You play He's probably in college by now playing 5e and nothing else. But at the time, at 12, he was great. <laughs> Corbett, you're the one probably most who's run into this problem with actually having kids you game with. So what do you think? Well, they liked the original when I was showing it to them and well, I mean, played it and I played them through Castles and Crusades too and they enjoyed that. But they, when they got to 5e, they like were magnetically pulled to it. And the frustrating thing I'm stuck with now is I'm always in an argument about like the book is just a guide. It's not anything and they constantly live by the rules say this the rules say that and there's like forty thousand races they get to be so they like are instantly like you can only be like five in the old one or four that's nothing so they have to deal with that and the funny thing is they just recently started playing star wars the d20 star wars game Mm -hmm. because of the mandalorian So there's like pop culture that's pulling them in a direction. And I've almost, I had them playing uh, Marvel superheroes at one point when 
Deadpool came out and they were like, Oh, this is great. This is a lot of fun. And, but then like all their other friends came over and like, oh, this is kind of stupid, and geeky and dumb. And like, well, this was normal. <laughs> so I'm used to that. Of course think, it's geeky. I, think... <laughs> I forgot about that part. When you're, when you're a certain age, you've got to be cool to your peers. Yeah. yeah. But I would say you have to look at that tattoo you have on your wrist that says, you know, WWGD. And what would Gary Gygax do? And think to yourself, I'm going to just go run a game. <laughs> because one of my favorite, I guess, mythical legends about him is the, the war gamer is like, oh, this D&D game is stupid. You can't have any Sherman tanks or any of that. If I had a Sherman tank, I'd just knock out that dragon and be nothing. And he's like, well, tomorrow, let's do that. <laughs> okay, so, let's do that. Yeah. Let's just play that. <laughs> Works versus Nazis. Let's go. <laughs> then you have Sturmgeschütz and Sorcery. I know. It, it's so cool. And that's that was that was that like, all right, let's you want to do that? We'll do that. Yeah. And you just take them. And cuz that's the that's the one thing we have over them is we've been through enough games. We know all these rules and all these things we can pull from every fiber in the universe. And they'll all think it's new. Yeah. Jim could Dr. Strange the hell out of a game in front of somebody and they wouldn't even know what's going on. <laughs> well, that's true, but uh, no. <laughs> Sorry. I think you mean, I think you mean Steve Ditko a game out in front of them. Steve Ditko. <laughs> I mean, this, this is weird. That's why I said it's got so many Venn bubbles. There's a playstyle preference component built in here, and we can have a civil discussion of games, game mechanics, simulate what the best, and, and stay perfectly civil. But there's playstyle preferences, like what movies do you like? What books do you want to read? You know, what do you? what's fun mm -hmm. to you is hardwired in people's heads. And there are people who need an RPG where the entire RPG is about their classic character with a 10-page backstory who never dies and is the hero of every encounter combat and there's nothing wrong with that and there are games that cater to that playstyle preference we're just most of us are just not in that group there's not a right or wrongness to it it's just okay so you're not going to enjoy dcc because <laughs> you, you yeah. might die you're having fun wrong <laughs> yeah you're not having fun wrong you're just having fun different my first dm said okay here's how you play D D. let's start roll up two characters why do i need to roll up two characters you're gonna find out <laughs> then you're there going i wish i'd rolled up three characters <laughs> okay unless there's something else next email next email from anthony <gasps> who could that be i knew it <laughs> <laughs> the same anyway anyway anthony Tony <laughs> says, if I may, two show suggestions. One, uh -oh. old game, Dragon Quest by SPI. Not the third edition that TSR did, some important differences. Hmm. And two, new game, Tall Tales RPG, an Old West Ooh. game based on the BX system. Okay, I'm all for that. Those are both great suggestions. <laughs> yeah. Ha has anyone played either of those? Um, no. I've never no. even read Dragon Quest, but I, I was going to say we have we have the SPI Dragon Quest. Oh, we, I sure know we, we have it. Do in you? The collection. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, we actually have it. <laughs> Aren't you just little collectors? <laughs> oh, we got that. We got chivalry and sorcery. We've we've got oh, yeah. tons of the off-brand stuff oh, that, that I could classes. never get as a kid. I don't know if chivalry and sorcery was an off-brand, was it? it? Seemed like that was kind of the third step, fourth yeah. maybe after RuneQuest. Oh no! Actually, it uh, it was contemporary with RuneQuest. It but it 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 basically took D and D and took it up a notch. Whereas mm. RuneQuest was BRP and SPI's Dragon Quest, I think, was 
really kind of its own animal. So, well, I do know where I was growing up at the time. I mean, I never saw anything that wasn't TSR games when it came to role playing. So, back in the day, all I ever saw was TSR stuff. Yeah. Now, mm. I didn't even get anything from other game companies until after the fact and buying them used. <laughs> Well, I was Dragon. a teen when Dragon Quest came out, so I mean, we all knew what that was. That was SBI's answer to D and D, and I can, you know, I can remember seeing the box on the shelf. I never bought it, but I would love to read it and and try and take the John Peterson approach. Well, what was this about, and how how did they answer back to D and D? And since it was SBI, how wargamey is it? Mm. Um, okay, well, yeah, we'll give those a shot. I'm not usually big on westerns, which is odd considering my Victorian historical penchant but yeah real um, weirdo aren't you yeah i am that's true <laughs> uh i have to find out who who does that tall tales though because if it's bx that's all already got my piqued my interest mark hunt oh so it's not a company it's not a, it's not a company it's mark hunt i was just looking it up because i was kind of curious okay it's like a two dollar book you can get on drive through oh, so i'm pretty sure we can do that i, I <laughs> think thanks to our patreon subscribers <laughs> we can just Whereas dragon quest it. is an $80 book on eBay, so Jim will buy two of them. <laughs> no, 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 no. Jim will scour eBay till time <laughs> eternal and the death heat of the universe to find that magic $20 copy. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jim's brain in a jar will enjoy it. <laughs> I only played four quatloots for it. <laughs> All right, well, something for the schedule. And next email? Our last email. Back to DM Kojo, who's taken us home. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Kojo writes, greetings, half-meisters. In my experience of playing D&D with younger, modern gamers and modern games, it seems that they really want to focus on their single character being the sole focus of their game the DCC character funnel being an exception. In my youth, playing basic D&D as well as 1E and 2E, my friends and I routinely rolled up two and three characters at a time to start a campaign, and just played all of them at once. Because of that, hirelings were never needed, and the players had more attachment to the characters because they were playing them as PCs, not as NPC mm. hirelings under the DM's direction. So, was my group the exception to the rule? Did most groups in the early days prefer hirelings to multiple PCs per player? If so, why? Thanks, DM Kojo. Thanks, Kojo. And I'm just guessing here, but our group, we pretty much did the same thing you did. But I don't know if it's so much because people just wanted two or three characters and that more that my players were cheap and didn't, <laughs> didn't want, want to that. pay hirelings. <laughs> so they just made up more characters. But it was the same net effect. They, there were no hirelings, no torchbearers. But I've heard that people who have gamed up near the Great Lakes, they tended to use them all the time. So I, I wonder if it's a geographical thing or what? what? I, think, I think it's partly that and partly we're like Generation 1.5. Those 1975 and 6 guys definitely like to tr go in a dungeon with an army. And, and like Peterson said, I wonder if that, that kind of derives from the wargaming roots. Because our, our, our first group did exactly what Kojo described and what you just said, Mike. It was It's two, three characters. And then later, you know, when the campaign's been going for a few years, it got all mixed and matchy. Like sometimes yeah. my main character who's supposed to be playing is off doing something. So my brother just said, well, can you play this NPC who's the a half devil, Annie Paladin, that's the son of 
Glacia and a lawful evil clone of your magic user, and I'll just be like, sure, I'll play that guy for the next couple of months. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds fun. Well, I usually played in fairly small groups, so we'd have a couple of characters each because there weren't that many of us playing. And if only three people went down into the dungeon, that would be <laughs> that would be suicidal. So it was more just to <laughs> fill out the party ranks than to... Yeah, and I think we were also kind of thinking, well, we've got these two characters each, and if one of our characters gets killed, we've still got the other one to play, and we're not out of the game. So that was kind of also, I think, what was going through our heads, too. The emergency backup, something happens to one, we're still playing. Speaking of house rules, here's a DCC house rule we invented for character funnels. The owning player of a dead character gets first dibs on looting that corpse with his other (laughs) level zeros. Yeah! That's fair. Corbett? You know, honestly, we just played like an extra character or two. We never bothered with hirelings. I don't think it was a matter of cheap. I don't think we ever really realized like, oh, we should hire somebody to come along. Although, you know, I thought it would be really funny in in later years when I realized, oh, hirelings is a thing. And that's kind of an existing point. And uh, what was it? Nodwick that was out at the time in the early 90s? Somewhere in there. They're, they really focus on the hireling as a as a main character i thought it'd be really funny to do like zero level characters running around with like level fives <laughs> and you know they're off to go kill the dragon and you're like dealing with the minions running around or other problems in the dungeon that have nothing to do with the quest has has anybody here played ours magica yes I have not, but it's beautifully designed <laughs> if I understand that right isn't like everybody playing a magic user and then or the hireling and that, well, this was how it was explained to me. I've never played it myself, but basically each person is playing a magic user, and then each magic user has three or four hirelings, and basically you're all playing each other's hirelings whenever the main magic user is shining, because it's like three or four different groups. It's, it seemed like when we played it, it was um, it was us just playing the magic users, like with extra guys in the background but then we were like way too self-involved teenagers at the time so oh okay (laughs) i'm like you corbett i am because now as a player i appreciate the hireling situation a lot more skeeter green ran a dcc mcc matchup campaign for us a few months ago and i i'm in the post-apocalypse with a dcc wizard who's got crap for spells but i'll tell you what i did have i had the dcc version of charm person which if you jack the roll right will also charm monsters and my little murder hobo party kept wanting to kill everything. And I'm like, no, let me charm him first. And by game three, I've got three uh, semi-sentient gorillas bodyguards that are just meat shields between me and whatever's coming. <laughs> and boy, did I keep those guys well taken care of because I'm, I'm like Brian Van Hoosing the, the saving roles they're eventually going to get. <laughs> Go get them, you damn dirty apes. <laughs> Here, have a banana. <sighs> okay, well... Then I guess uh, if people want to write in and don't want to use the form on the website, where would they write in, Liz? They would write in save for half podcast at gmail.com. Woohoo! Eventually, we will probably get around to reading your email. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we don't get as many emails as we used to. Of course, you know, Kojo made up for lost time with that shotgun of emails there. One of those emails was from last year. Another one, you know, greeted us with Happy New Year. You know, we're kind of lackadaisical about getting to the emails, but we will eventually get to an email, <laughs> probably. <laughs> and Liz, as opposed to me last episode, just gave everybody the correct email address to write into. <laughs> However, if you want to CC uh, Save or Die yes! podcast at gmail.com, let, just let them know you're writing us. Feel no free. It's very important. We don't mind. Yeah. Ask them questions about episodes they didn't do. And it's like, what are you talking about? Just ask them to detail our answers from our show on their emails. I'm sure they'll, they'll appreciate that. But by the same effect you can also email us about things that save or die said and ask us to talk about oh, man. we don't mind hang on we, i was just trying be, to be funny i don't want to start a be, war we will be just as clueless in our responses <laughs> i guarantee we'll have carl or crispy on here that, that'll work we could do yeah. it or courtney we can we can do this well, that we, would be cool. Could we do that would. for real? We could ask them. Why not? You can ask them about it. Sure. All right. Well, but until then, <laughs> say goodnight, everybody. <laughs> so long. Farewell. Our theater saying goodnight. Adieu. Adieu. To you and you and you. I don't know how to say goodbye in German. See ya. Auf <laughs> Wiedersehen. <laughs> oh, that's right. Free art. And we're out. Podcast is a production of the Mud Puppy Games Network and the Gagman Podcast. The Save for Half theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. All player characters mentioned in this podcast are fictional, and any resemblance to PCs living or dead is purely coincidental. No NPCs were armed in the making of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save for Half. <laughs>